Hey girl, Heather Nelson here. Welcome to Life Conversations with a Twist. I'm so excited to build a community where I inspire and empower women who are going through hard times. I can't wait to share with you women who have unique stories and have overcome hard times in their life. So grab your favorite cocktail, lean in, and let's cheers to empowerment, ladies. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Life Conversations with a Twist. I'm super excited to have my friend Samara on today. Um, Her and I, gosh, how long have we known each other now? Like six or seven years? Well, how long have you been in the industry? Since 2007. And I feel like we met right after I, maybe like 2010 or something. Yes. And I I know um, all my guests, most of my guests who have been on, I know in the event industry, um, but that's just where my world is. And um, I get to meet amazing women who have really cool, unique stories. And so um, I'm really excited to have you on and and you share your journey and your experiences. Um, So Samar, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, um, a little bit about you. Well, thank you for having me. I'm I'm super honored and super happy to be here. Um, When you first asked me, I was like, yeah, anything for you, Heather. Like this, this sounds so great. And just your message sounds so great. And I love it. So I'm really honored to be here. Um, what I do, I'm a wedding and event planner. Um, I own Blissful Events and I've done that since 2007 and mostly wine country, but I'll go wherever my clients are and wherever they want me to go. Hawaii, anybody? I know, right? <laughs> right. And if you, need, if you need an assistant, I, um, I'm down to go. Especially for Hawaii. Yes. <laughs> and like, how old are you? Where do you live? Are you single? Are you married? Kids? Yeah. So I am That's actually really funny to ask me that right now because of what I'm going through right now. Yeah. Um, all the fun things. So I'm 40 years old. I turned 40 a couple months ago and I live in Petaluma. So first little town in wine country. If, if I know I'm sure people are listening to you from all over the world. So first little town of wine country in, uh, California's wine country. And, uh, I am single, not married, but I, I do have a boyfriend. Um, and he has four kids. So I kind of am a stepmom. I mean, we say that so far, we were not married yet, but we already called me a stepmom of four. So that's been an amazing and super exciting challenge. And, um, just all the things. I mean, I went from like no kids, totally single, no one in my life to this amazing, amazing, amazing human being in my life and four kids. So it's like, okay, you know, zero to a hundred. I love it. I love watching your journey and how like happy you are. I think I comment anytime you post a photo. I'm like, I just love how happy you are. And now you and I can relate on the kids situation. And I'm always here to support you through that. (laughs) journey. <laughs> I'm going to need all the support I can get. I'm like, cause I know you have a bunch of kids. I'm like, how do you even do it? So I'm, yeah, that would be all, all the advice is always welcomed. Right yeah. <laughs> and anyone listening, if you have any advice for her. <laughs> yeah, reach exactly. Out. Um, so, um, you have a really cool and unique story and I, I've like, I know a little bit, but I can't wait to like really dive into more of, um, how you got here and all the things. So do you want to tell everyone your journey and why I thought you would be a great person to have on this podcast today? Um, I will try. Uh, so starting all the way from the beginning. So I'm Palestinian. I was born in Jerusalem. I lived there until I was nine years old and it was absolutely amazing. We had family there. We had, you know, everything we needed there. 
I went to an all girls Catholic French school where I spoke fluent French at school. No one in my family spoke it, but I spoke it at school and, you know, spoke Arabic and every school that you go to there teaches you English because that's just the universal language. But, you know, they don't really focus on it unless it's an American school. So one of my brothers went to an American school. He spoke English really well. My other brother went to a German school. So we all kind of did our, you know, we were in our own schools. And so um, moved here when I was nine years old, you know, for those of you who don't know a lot about, you know, Palestine and that part of the world um, and the Middle East in general. So there's the Palestinian-Israeli conflict that has been going on for many years, uh, started in 1947 and Israeli has been going on ever since. Um, the reason my parents decided to move here is really because of us, her, or their kids. They decided that, um, you know, with, with the Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict, it was just, it got so bad. My oldest brother is eight years older than me. So he's 48 now, I'm 40. And uh, so back then he was, I think he was 15 at the time, wrong place at the wrong time. And he ended up being picked up by soldiers with him and eight of his friends and was beaten, I mean, almost to death. It was, it was so, so brutal. Um, he was in jail and, and when you say jail, you, you don't think of like, you know, like a holding cell, like it's like a prison, like a, like it's a torture cell is basically what, what the Israeli prisons are like. And so he was in that kind of a prison for two weeks. It was actually a total of 15 days before he got out. Um, and I remember the day that he got out of prison and um, again, just a kid in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I remember looking out the window and we lived on the third floor and somebody's waving at me through the window. And I didn't, it, I was like, I don't know who that is. And so I you know, wave back, I get upstairs and I realize that it's my brother. And he had just been so br brutally beaten that I couldn't even recognize him. Oh. So, yeah. So um, we'll start off with the hard stuff and we'll, we'll get to the good stuff later. <laughs> but um so my parents had had a green card, which is what you need, you know, a residency card, which is what you need to come and move here since I was born. Um, my aunt was married and lived in Ohio and, and just asked our family members, you know, who wants papers, you know, who wants me to create papers for them. And, and it was, uh, you know, it was very easy back then. It wasn't, you know, as hard as it is now to, you know, to get citizenship and residency here. So it was basically, you know, some papers that you filed with, with, you know, whoever it was supposed to be with embassy or whoever. And, um, and we had a green card since 1981. Um, in order for us to keep our green card, my dad would have to come here every year and, you know, get a job, you know, kind of, you know, prove that he's paying taxes, all of that. So my dad would come here, you know, anywhere between three to six months at a time every year. So most of the time, you know, we were I want to say we were raised by my mom, but we really, it wasn't just my mom. It, it truly takes a village there. And, and in Palestine, when you, when you have kids, it's, it's everybody's kids. So all of my aunts and uncles and grandma and grandpas, and you know, all of them, I felt like they were all my parents and all my cousins felt like my siblings. So I never really felt like we were all alone or anything like that. I never really, I don't want to say I didn't miss my dad when he was gone, but you know, I was a kid and it, it was, it was easy because it didn't feel like anything was really missing from our lives. Um, you know, and then he would come back with all the gifts and, you know, whatever from America. And so that was always so exciting. Um, you know, we get to, 
have all the toys and all the clothing and all that stuff that he would come back with and, you know, give us gifts and all that stuff. And it was just so much fun to, to be that kid. And so, um, fast forward again to kind of how, you know, we ended up here is because we had that green card, my parents decided, you know, there's, there's just no way my, my, we can't live here anymore. Uh, my dad owned body shops at the time, you know, he was doing great for himself. Um, my mom was a registered nurse and was working for, you know, for a government based, based uh, hospital and, you know, making amazing money. Like they were, we were fine. Um, and they ended up coming here and, um, and we, so in 1989 is when they made this decision in 1990, July 14th of 1990 is when we moved to the United States. I totally remember that day. It was a month and a half before my ninth birthday. It was probably the worst day of my life. Um, we were literally picking up and moving and like leaving everything behind from everything we knew. And so it was, um, it was, I remember like, you know, playing with my cousins and all of my friends the whole night before my parents let us stay up as late as we wanted. The whole neighborhood was out playing with us and the adults were like inside crying and like, you know, like so sad we were leaving and all that. And then the next morning, I remember we were just waving for the longest time down, you know, down the road, looking behind us in the you know rear view of the, of the window as we like said goodbye to our entire family, our whole lives. Um, so moved to the United States. Um, I remember we flew with KLM because we, my dad always flew with KLM. We stopped in Amsterdam for the night. And I remember that and just like, you know, having like, okay, like my parents are trying to try and make it as fun as they can for us. We did that. And then we came here and, um, you know, with like $50,000 in my parents' pockets, like just and starting a life with five, you know, a family of five. Um, we stayed with my dad's friend in Fremont. We moved to Fremont at the time. We stayed there for about a week until my parents like found an apartment for us and, you know, furnished it and like all these things and found schools for us to go to. So this was that summer and we were about to start school, you know, that, that fall. And I was about to start fourth grade in the fall. Um, my first day of school, I don't remember very much of it. I just knew I didn't speak any English. Um, I spoke fluent French and I spoke fluent Arabic, which helped me zero. Um, I, I was like, I just want to play with the kids and no one spoke my language. So here I am, tiny little like Samar, super short hair. It looks like a boy um, and trying to like figure out where I fit in. And of course they put me in an ESL class. I think they're called something else now. English is a second language class. I don't know what they're called now, but. Yeah, I think that's what they're called still. They're still called that. Okay. I think so I was in an ESL class and, but still none of the kids were spoke any Arabic either in my ESL class. So, um, I remember I knew my name is Samar, which is exactly how you, that's how you pronounce my name in Arabic. My name is Samar. I knew hi, bye, thank you. And the word ball, which was very important when you were nine years old <laughs> to know the word ball, uh, you know, give me the ball, play with the ball. <laughs> so those, that was my, that was my communication that I had with people. I remember coming home to my mom going again from a private school, all girls Catholic French school, where I got sent home for wearing the wrong color, like barrette in my hair. Um, I think I got sent home one time for wearing a red one instead of a white one. Cause that's what was allowed. I mean, like sent home. It was very, very strict to in the nineties coming home to like 
mom, these kids are wearing ripped jeans to school. Like, oh my gosh, my heart is breaking because they like can't, their parents can't afford to buy them jeans. And it was just having like, that's the kind of culture shock that I had. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> well, and during um, that time we had lovely outfits back then. Right? Yeah, like neons and like all the, like we're just coming out of the 80s. Oh my God. And I'm like, you know, proper like plaid wearing little kid. Everything was pristinely ironed. It was, it was a disaster for me. Um, mostly because I really just felt really bad for all the kids. Like I thought I was okay. I thought something was wrong with that. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was interesting few years. Um, even it's funny because even now as an adult, you know, so I spent, I spent a long time figuring out who I was in that, in that world. And so um, I, I feel like I'm speaking a lot about like my childhood life, but that's like, I guess no, I mean, I think that's what leads you into where you are today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, um, let's see, where do I go from here? So I was probably fluent in English in about six months. I mean, you know, when you're that young of a kid, you get immersed in the language, you're, it's quick and you're fine. Um, you know, and I learned English from an American teacher who's blonde hair, blue eyed, who I just wanted to be just like her. I thought she was like, wow, like that's what Americans look like. Like, it's just, it was so like beautiful and amazing to me. And I just, I just wanted to be an American kid. So I stopped saying that my name is Samar and I started, started saying that my name is Summer. And so, um, it just, I was like, well, that's the first, you know, first like really easy way to like, you know, be an American kid. Like my name is Summer. It's great. So <laughs> no one will ever know that I have no dark hair. <laughs> and I would, I remember like imitating the way she spoke and, and people are always saying, oh, you don't have an accent. And it's truly because like, I, I did not want to have an accent. I was also young enough that that was easy to do, but it, I remember I'm also dyslexic. So that part, we'll get to that part in a minute, but I remember taking, um, you know, taking spelling tests in school and my teacher would say, spell the word of, and I would spell it O-V or spell water. And I would spell it with a D instead of a T because it, I'm, I, in my head wanted everything to, I was so focused on the way things sounded and, and trying to get the accent just right because I just didn't want to be out of place. I didn't want to be the kid that didn't belong. So did um, you ever get like picked on or, you oh, know, how were, how were kids back then? Kids are horrible. Oh my gosh. Horrible. I, I mean, so like I said, I mean, I didn't, the way I dressed was, was I thought, I mean, we were the coolest kids on the block in Palestine because we got all of our, our clothes from America, you know? And, and my dad was just going, I don't know, to wherever he was going to get his clothes. We just thought they were so cool because they were different. So I'm wearing those same things there. Um, or here when I first moved here. And that's what the kids are wearing. Like, I'm like showing up. I don't even know what I was wearing, cute little dresses and, you know, things like that. And they're like jeans and like ripped jeans and t-shirts and whatever. And they just thought I was the weirdest kid around. Um, I didn't get picked on a ton in Fremont because I was in an ESL class and we were all the same. I got picked on when I moved to San Rafael in the middle of sixth grade. Because hmm. And because what happened was I, I left, um, my parents decided to move to San Rafael. My dad bought a business. My mom got a new, new job in a new, um, new, uh, hospital. Um, 
And, you know, she had to retake all of her tests and all of that and get her licensing, which is like, which was like a whole other year of her studying and taking refresher courses. And this is kind of like passing the bar exam. It's like the equivalent of like that difficulty. And she was able to pass it from the first time. And I remember her studying every day. So there was like, no, you know, there was almost like no attention to us. It was just like, your brothers are going to raise, raise you guys and take care of you right now. Like I, I, my mom needed to do this. And cause it was either that. And my dad ended up going to work at Midas and he didn't, you know, as a mechanic and he didn't know um, very much English at all. So we were just like, this money is being depleted as we, as we live here. And my dad is barely bringing in any money. My mom's not bringing in any money because she's, you know, studying for this test. So it was like, we, my parents had to sit us down and be like all the things that you had before, like the privileged life you had before, we're not going to have that right now. Like, and we need you to understand what that looks like. Um, and so, you know what's so interesting. Can I like jump in? Please, yeah. Um, people talk about the American dream and now, now I know this is nothing to like, to go by, but I watched 90 day fiance, which yes, is I do too. <laughs> stupid and addicting and all the things. But it's so interesting because so many people want to come to America, right? They're like, that's like the American dream. Like it's so glamorous here. It's so all these things, but you coming here, like you don't just get in and you're like a millionaire. I mean, we all know how hard it is to be here, to live here, especially in Sonoma County. And it's just so, you know, it's, it's not easy. And it's like, you still struggle and you don't have money and you don't even know the language and like it's not as what cracked up as people think it is. No, I think, I mean, even now, like people still think that like money grows on trees. You just come to the United States and you like bring a bucket with you so you can collect all the money that you find on the street. And I mean, in a lot of other countries, it's still that way. And, you know, my family is very, my family isn't that way. You know, my family, my extended family in Palestine, but when, when we go and visit and, you know, friends, my cousins take us to hang out with their friends we are looked at that way. Like, oh, those are the rich kids that came to visit us from America. And it's, it's really interesting because yes, it totally is that way. And everybody wants to be here. And then they get here and they're like, what is the, like, where is this dream that I thought I was going to have? And it, and it's not here. I mean, you have to work your butt off to get it. It's like, like you said, we all do. So yeah, it was, it was really interesting for my dad, you know, my dad to have to kind of go do that. You know, he, he was the boss. Like he had, body shops, like all sorts of body shops and things like that. And now he's like working for someone like doing breaks at, at, as a mechanic when he was like teaching people how to do this, you know? So, um, you know, and my mom having three different licenses from three different countries in order like to be able to work in three different countries in the middle East and that, and like them not being recognized anywhere here and having to take a year of refresher courses in order for her to even be like, be even, be able to even apply for a job at a hospital as a registered nurse. So, um, so that was all happening. So yes, the kids were definitely making fun of us, making fun of me a whole lot because I, I looked different. I acted different, especially moving to Marin County. Um, you know, I, I was, I mean, besides the Latino kids, I was really, I was the darkest kid around. I mean, their like skin color was, you know, like I look Latina. A lot of people think and assume that I'm Latina. Oftentimes people come up to me and speak Spanish to me. Um, And little secret about me that is not very nice. But when people assume that I speak a language and they come up to me and and start speaking it to me, I just pretend like I don't speak it, even though I'm actually almost fluent in Spanish. (laughs) It just bothers me. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I would, it would bother me too. I'm like, why would you assume? Like you could say, do you speak Spanish? And then I would happy to say, yes, I speak a little bit of Spanish. Happy to do that. But like when someone just assumes, when someone speaks to me in Arabic, even like, I'm like, I don't assume you can ask a question. <laughs> well, uh, and this is why my husband's like, why don't you ever speak Spanish? Like at, at the stores, you know, when, mm-hmm. when we go to like, um, Lola's or something. And I'm like, the second that I speak Spanish, they think that I'm fluent in it. And then they start talking and I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. I only know right. the basics. Like it's so overwhelming, yeah. but even the fact that you knew two languages, fluently. And then now you're like learning another one, I think is so cool. Like, I don't think people realize how hard learning a language is until you have to actually do it, especially as an adult. It's hard. So it it is, I think what happened for me was that because I had French and the French was going away so quickly because no one in my family spoke it. So literally I had zero people to speak French to, I think my brain just started picking up another language. And so that's how that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point I would say I was like 80% fluent in Spanish. And now it's just cause I don't use it as much in my life. And you know, it's, it's gotten less, but yeah, it, it's really interesting how languages work. And so quick, funny story about the stepkids. So um, my boyfriend loves the Middle Eastern culture and is very, very well versed in it. Like has ever before he ever met me knows probably more about my culture than I do sometimes. Um, and And so we've talked about this and he's like, I want to learn Arabic. Like, I want you to speak Arabic to me. So I speak Arabic to him. And, um, and we decided that we're, I'm going to start speaking Arabic to the four kids as well. And it has been the coolest thing because the eight-year-olds, there's, there's 10, eight, two, and one. These, that's the ages of the four kids. And the, the eight-year-old like picks it up. Like it's nothing. Like every time I see him, He's like, oh yeah, now I know how to learn. Now I know how to count from one to 30. And I'm like, oh my God. Okay. Well, okay. On we go. Like now we're 31 to 40. Okay. (laughs) And it's just, and they like, they're starting to a little bit respond to me. Like, you know, saying thank you when I, when some, like they'll say thank you in Arabic, things like that. But it's just so cool. It's so cool. Cause I'm remembering how it worked for me back then when I was like, yeah, like, I guess my parents have to speak to me in Arabic in order for me to keep the language. I love that. Yeah. So fun. Um, Good job, yeah, so, <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> My half, half white, half black stepkids who are speaking Arabic. It's going to be a very interesting world. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're so innocent then. They don't know anything and they're just so excited and it's, it's yeah. special. It is very sweet. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so yeah, that was, kids definitely made fun of me throughout, um, and it was the Latino kids who actually took me in, because I looked the most like them. So being a girl, being, um, being in Marin County, being among the Latino community, which I knew nothing about until I moved to, to Marin County, um, that was also really interesting, and and it's very, their culture is very similar to the Palestinian culture. So that felt really good to me, at least like they knew why my parents didn't let me do anything. And, you know, they were so strict and all that. Um, and that was a whole other thing. My parents were extremely strict. So I never, like, I was never allowed to have a boyfriend. I was never allowed to have boys that, you know, friends that were boys, you know, boys weren't allowed to have my number. Like, it's just, it, that's not, even till now I'm 40 years old and single. Um, I was, I was married for a while. We'll get to that in a minute, but 
Um, uh, it just, you know, even being single now, my dad's like, I'm still responsible for you till a man comes and, you know, whatever becomes your hero and, you know, whatever it is, like comes to take care of you. And I'm like, dad, I've been divorced for eight years and I've been living on my own this whole time. Like it's all going to, he's just, it's all going to be okay. And he just, you know, he can't, he can't absorb that. Like that's not okay. (laughs) So yeah, I'm glad you love that. It drives me a little crazy. It's, I, I love him for it. It's the sweetest thing. It's just, you know, in my culture, women are secondary. We are not, we are not the ones that are, you know, we're educated. We're all of those things. It's just, we still come after a man. Um, and so for my dad, a man needs to be a part of my life to take care of me, to make things happen to, you know, for my world to be complete, I will have to have a husband who wants to give me children. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way my, my life would be complete according to, to my dad. Mm-hmm. So, and according to my culture in general. So it's, it's interesting being this, you know, Arab kid who, you know, I call, still call myself a kid, <laughs> this Arab kid living in, in the United States, because there are two cultures that are really pulling at you that are so polar opposites and being a woman and figuring out what your space is in that. So, um, you know, I, I, in my twenties, I, met my boyfriend at the time, ended up falling deeply in love, ended up getting married to him. He's Jordanian, was born here, but Middle Eastern. So my parents were really happy. Um, I had no idea that I was marrying an addict, alcoholic, compulsive gambler. Um, Because again, me being so kind of for just living under a rock, really for, you know, most of my life, because moving here at nine, you know, had this, um, moving here at nine years old, it took me years to figure out where I belong. And then, and then after that is when I really started to even connect with the things that the American kids were connecting with. So the TV shows or the, the, you know, the sayings or the, like the, the different things that like people might say, um, that never, that I still didn't understand. I mean, there's still things today. Whenever my friends watch movies from the eighties, even a lot from the nineties. I'm just like, I have no idea what you're referring to. Like I'm, I'm not a star Wars kid. I'm not any of those things because they weren't around in my world, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and it's the weirdest thing for me when my friends are like, Oh my God, a new star Wars movie or, you know, that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, okay, cool. Um, I'm glad that that's working for you. Like, I don't know. It's just, to me seems so weird because these are not even things on my radar for me to even think about or worry about. I was, for the year after we moved here, one of my uncles was in prison for three years and, and, you know, was, you know, and there's still a struggle that happens every day there that my family has to deal with. So in the back of my mind, there's always so much more things than like what the American dream looks like. Um, And not that I'm like constantly thinking about those things all day long. And that's not what I'm, you know, trying to, to say, but there was just so many more there were just, there was just more on my plate, I guess, than a lot of like the average kid, the average, you know, American kid would have here. I'm a busy mama. And the last thing that I want to do is go grocery shopping. So I use Instacart. It's the best app ever. Download the app. You pick what grocery store you want to shop at. I use it a lot for Costco. 
I pick all the items that I want. You pick the time that you want it delivered and they show up right to your door. You don't have to go wait in line. You don't have to deal with people at the store. It's super quick and easy. All your items are saved. So each time I go to the store, I can just re-pick all my items and someone goes shopping for me. Instacart has saved me so much time and money. I'm one of those people when I go grocery shopping, I buy more things than I need. Uh, this keeps it limited onto the only things that I need for the week. I highly recommend it. You can actually get a free delivery on your first order of $35 or more. If you click in the show links and go to the link, download the app, put in the code, and you can receive your first delivery on your first $35. I promise you, you will not regret it, and you will never want to go grocery shopping again. So if you're interested in Instacart, take a look at the link. So we got married, realized I'm married, an addict alcoholic. Um, and when I got married, is I was totally one of those brides that was like, oh my gosh, I planned my own wedding. I can totally be a wedding planner. <laughs> There's so many of you out there. There's so many of us out there. <laughs> but I was but actually able to do it. <laughs> but I was actually able to do it. <laughs> you do a great job. <laughs> but when people say that, I'm like, oh, I hate those girls. I was totally one of them. <laughs> um, so I was planning my wedding. I was also, I mean, I've, I've always like planned the parties for people. I've always done those things. And so I'm like, this totally is the fit. I'm just going to try it out. I'm not going to quit my job. I'm just going to try it out. Let's just see if this is something that works for me. So I started my business, Blissful Events in 2007. And um, in the midst of, you know, working for, working in corporate America, where I was actually planning corporate events all over, all over um, the US and Canada, um, like week long conferences that we would do all over. And so I knew that I was able to at least do that part of it. So I'm working full time. I'm a new bride. I'm starting this business and uh, it just, and I'm realizing that I've probably made a really big mistake with who I've married because things are starting to come out and things are starting, I'm like starting to realize, you know, oh my gosh, I married this person that's, you know, an addict alcoholic. And my parents finally think I'm taken care of. I'm 24 years old. I was 20, like I turned 25 on our honeymoon. It was, I was a baby. And making these decisions that I thought were the right decisions for me to make. And really a lot of them had to do with kind of my culture kind of pushing that, you know, you have to be married, otherwise you're nothing. You, you know, you're a woman, you can't be alone in the world. Um, you know, you have to have babies, all, all of these things. And so, but I, there was this drive in me that I, I just, I knew there was more for me than all of these things that I was doing. So I focused a lot on blissful events. I focused a lot on my business and I just was like, I'm going to just see where this goes and I'm going to be, try to be the best person I can be and do that. So, um, my way of doing that was I would work in the corporate world, nine to five, Monday through Friday, and then I would come home, you know, sit in traffic because I was working in Sausalito and living in Petaluma. Um, we moved to Petaluma when we got married. We never lived together before we were married because that's not the cultural thing to do. So I didn't know any of these things about him until we were married because we weren't, it was easy to hide things. So um, I'm a very big fan of living together before you get married. <laughs> so, uh, so from like, you know, six 30, my husband at the time would, would cook us dinner. So he's cooking dinner and I'm like working on my website and I'm 
creating all these things and doing all these things. Um, so, uh, and then, you know, he would say, oh, I'm going to go to Costco to, to do some shopping or whatever, because he owned, um, you know, he worked at a deli at the time and owned a deli at the time in Petaluma. You know, I'm going to go get some, get some things, you know, supplies for the store tomorrow. Okay. And then, you know, he'd be gone for the rest of the night. I won't see him again. He would, you know, it was all the excuses from, you know, I fell asleep on my friend's couch or I had to, you know, one too many beers and ended up falling asleep. But, you know, Adam's well, you house. went to Costco. Yeah, you went to Costco. Yeah. Well, I'd get a call. Oh, I'm going to go to Adam's house and, and have, you know, okay, great. You know, whatever. We're 25 years old. I'm thinking, you know, and he's, he was a little bit older than me. Not a lot, you know, same general age. I think he was like four years older than me or something. Um, so of course, you know, you want to go have a beer at your friend's house. You're my husband. I trust you. Go have fun. So, um, little by little, these things started getting figured out as to like, okay, what is really going on? Um, am I giving you information that is this what you're looking for? Okay. (laughs) Um, and as things started to get figured out as to like who he was and, you know, what is happening in his life, um, I'm like, okay, how do we fix this? Because I just go, I completely went into fix it mode. And there was, there's a part of me that I know now that I didn't know then. And it's that soft part of me as being a woman. There are parts of us that we don't, I think society tells us we have to be these like super rough, tough women to get what we want. And we don't. And I realized just being the essence of the beauty of who I am on the inside is really what gets me to the point of, of, you know, getting what I want and what I need in life. And I didn't know that back then. We'll talk more about that in a a minute, I guess. But um, I was just so like rough and like, we're going to make this happen. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do that. and I'm going to fix you. and I'm going to do these things. Um, And, and there's, you know, there, I was just so much in, in my masculine energy, really, like there was, you know, and there's masculine energy and feminine energy are in both men and women. Like it's not, this isn't a, you know, it's not a competing thing by any means. It's just, I am a woman and I probably, you know, I'm going to draw more on my, on my feminine energy. And I wasn't, I was drawing so much. Everything in my life was masculine energy at the time. And I just, I had to do, I had to make it happen. I had to fix it. I had to do all these things. And I, it was, it was nerve wracking and it was awful. And I made myself go crazy and it was the best learning experience of my life. Um, during that time, I decided to join um, a group called Al-Anon. If people don't know what Al-Anon is, if you are a friend or um, a family member of an addict or an al- or alcoholic, it's a, it's the equivalent of AA and NA, but for family and friends of addicts and alcoholics. And it was the best thing that I could have ever done for myself. Um, I remember he came home one day and he's, he said, we were arguing as we, as we did often, um, young couple and he's not coming home and we don't have any money and cause he's gambling it all away and you know, all the stuff. Um, and I don't know how we're going to pay rent and you know, all these things. And, and I'm not telling my parents about any of it because God forbid my parents still think that I have a husband who's not taking care of me. Oh my goodness. So my parents don't know anything about this. So everyone in my life thinks, and all my friends think I have, I'm like the happiest bride that's, you know, on the face of the planet. Cause that's, that was the show I put for everybody. Um, the show I put on for everybody. So we're arguing one night and he looks at me and he goes, there are programs for people like you. 
And I was like, people like me? And I was just so mad. Like, you're the one that needs to be fixed. I'm fine. You're the bad one. I'm the good one. It was just awful. And it was the biggest blow I've ever had with him. (laughs) And I was like, okay, you know what? I gave it a couple days and like, like, let me self, let me let myself cool down. And I gave myself a couple days and I was like, you know what? I'm going to show him. If he thinks that I can be like, I'm going to, I need to go to a program. I'm going to go to this thing and I'm going to figure out how to fix him. And I'm going to fix him. And it's all going to be okay. Cause in my head, I'm going to go to this thing, this class in my head. And they're going to tell me how to, you know, fix my husband. And then I was going to come and do a, B and C. And then he was going to do all the things I wanted him to do. And then we're going to live happily ever after, which obviously did not happen because I just told you guys that I'm single and have a boyfriend. So, (laughs) um, we ended up being married for, almost six years by the time the divorce was finalized. And, um, and it was the most loving divorce I've ever had in my life. Hmm. And during that time, during the span of that, those five to six years, we're separated after five years. And by the time we were divorced, it was six years, but, and we were together for five years before that. So this is like 11 year relationship. And um, one of the biggest things that I learned then is how to love me. And what I, and I was, I was this person who was a complete people pleaser. I came from a country that, you know, tells you that as a woman, you're supposed to come as a second class citizen. Um, you, your voice is not really heard. Your voice doesn't even really count. Um, and without a man, you are nothing. So, um, so it was, you know, I was in the space of, I just, I needed to please people. That was all I did. You know, even, even the role that I took on in my household with my parents as a young kid was, you know, my mom would do all the cooking, you know, she, both my parents worked, um, kids would come home from school. She would do the cooking and, you know, would make us all dinner. I would do all the cleaning, everyone's laundry. I made everyone's bed before, you know, before I went to school in the morning I mopped, I, I swept, you know, all those things. Like I'm, and so I called myself Cinderella when I was a kid, because that was, that was how I felt. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, um, it was, so I, I grew up in this mentality was so ingrained in me that you are second to a man and you are not good enough unless you do X, Y, and Z. And unless you please everybody around you and all of that. And in Al-Anon and, and many, many, many years of therapy, and I'll just touch on this. I don't need to speak about it a ton. Um, but I was sexually abused for many years as a child. And so, um, and so I went to a lot of therapy for that as well. I feel like that's a whole topic all by itself if we ever wanted it to be. But, um, but I went to a lot of therapy during that time. And I went to a lot of Al-Anon during that time. And it truly taught me the importance of just knowing that I was just enough and, and just that I am okay on my own and that it's all going to be okay. So I remember the day that I asked my ex-husband to move out. Um, we were in a couples therapy session. We had been going to therapy three times a week. I don't know how we were paying for this. It was craziness. Um, but I was, I was determined to do anything I can to try and fix this. And really I was determined. I hated him for a long time for lying to me and deceiving, deceiving me and, you know, putting me in this marriage with him and not really telling me who he really was, that I decided I wasn't going to leave until I learned how how to love him again. 
So, and I wanted to leave from a place of love. So um, through the therapy and the Al-Anon and all of that, I, we were sitting in this therapy session, like two hour therapy session. And he tells me that he just started shooting up crystal meth a couple weeks ago. And I remember feeling like the couch we were sitting on, like opened up and the ground completely swallowed me whole. And we were, this, the rest of the session, it was like this two hour session. It was right at the beginning of the session. And the rest of the time felt like that, you know, that underwater, I have no idea what happened during the rest of that session. It just, that's all I could hear. And we came home after that session and I just, I'm like, I just need to, I need a minute. And I'm, I went to the room, closed the door and just prayed. I didn't know what to do. Um, so I, I came back outside and I said, I love you and you need to move out. He said, I love you too. And I totally understand. And I, and then he went into telling me how grateful he was for letting me stay, letting him stay as long as I did and all these things. He packed a bag for a couple nights thinking, I think he thought he was going to be coming back um, and that things would be okay again. Cause I've kicked him out before. Um, but that was it for me. He had never come, he never came back after that. Um, so it took a really long time to get him to agree to sign divorce papers and all these things. Cause I didn't have money for a lawyer. I was absolutely broke at this time. Um, this is maybe, let's see from 2007, five years after that is what 2012. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 2012. Um, so that was 2012. It was actually, I think it was March of 2012. Um, so I went to my parents' house and I said, so the guy you thought I was married to is not that guy. He's an addict, alcoholic, compulsive gambler. I've been dealing with this for the past five years. I asked him to move out and he's leaving tonight. And like, I threw all this information on them all at the same time. And they were like, what the hell? That's why you haven't had kids. And that's, you know, cause it, he would always say to me, you know, if we had kids, I would stop using. And I'm like, well, I don't think that bringing an, another human into the problems that we have is going to resolve any of the problems. So thank God that I had this. So, so many so, women think that that's the save all and it's not, it makes things not. 20 times worse. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, how does fixing a problem, how does bringing a third person into the problem make it easier when it was already a big enough problem with two people? Um, so the other really big thing during that time for me is, um, so I was a super religious kid when I was in Palestine. Like I said, I went to an all girls Catholic French school. I actually thought I wanted to be a nun when I grew up. Like when someone asked you what you want to be, I wanted to be a nun. Um, or I wanted to be a, a nurse like my mom, which is, you know, the norm, but I wanted to be a nun. Um, so when we moved to the States, I really lost a lot of that, a lot of my connection with God. Um, and during my time in Al-Anon and in therapy, I was really able to get back to that connection for me. And, and it's not even about religion for me. It's about my connection to my higher power, which I choose to call God and my connection to higher power. I remember getting back into Al-Anon and, and getting a sponsor because they ask you to get a sponsor to help you work through the steps and all these things. And she said to me, you know, do you believe in a higher power? And I said, I don't think I do anymore because all of these bad things wouldn't have happened to me had there been a God. So she said, do you believe that you are the be all end all of the world, the universe? And I said, no, absolutely not. And she said, is there anything that feels like it's bigger than you? And the only thing I could imagine at the time was the ocean. And she said, well, can the ocean be your higher power? 
And so for years, when I would have problems, I would envision it's like I'm standing on the shore and a wave would just wash over me and just wash away the problems. And that's how I would hand them over to my higher power. And so for many years, that's how I did that until I continued to develop my relationship with God and whatever that looked like. And this isn't something me trying to push, you know, religion on anyone by any means. It was just the, again, for me, that's how I, that's how, that's what worked for me and my relationship with God and how that really affected my life. So um, got divorced. So now I'm this Palestinian kid who is divorced in her early thirties. And um, I don't even think I was 31 yet. And I don't have any kids. Now that means no, I'm basically used up goods is really what, what society is telling me. Um, whether it be American society or, or definitely, you know, Middle Eastern society um, or Middle Eastern culture. Um, and that's really how I felt for a really long time. I felt like I just wasn't good enough. I felt like nothing was working. Um, but again, deep inside of me, some, there was just a light that just wanted to shine so badly. And I didn't know how, I didn't know how, I didn't know what it was. It, I just, I didn't know. I just knew that there was more in here for me. And like, and that was it. So I just kept pushing. Um, I, you know, kept working on my business. I, um, and I think Heather, we probably met right around that time is probably when I was either going through my divorce or, or something like that is, I think is so. I I think it was like right after, right after. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, you've probably watched a lot of, a lot of the shift probably in me during that time. Um, and I think the important part for me was to know that there is a little girl inside of me who needed to be loved and to be cherished and to be honored. And I didn't know how to do that for her. So I spent a lot of time and I still spend a lot of time. I'm currently working with a relationship coach who is phenomenal, um, who just helps me learn more about me and learn about that little girl in me who now today I get to just cherish and say, okay, like you need some time. Like I'm clearly like doing, I'm clearly in my like alpha mode. I'm in my masculine and I'm not sitting here nurturing you. And that's what you need in this moment. And let's take a minute to do that. And I get to do that now in the most loving way for myself. And when I started focusing a lot more on that is when my business grew. I didn't per se do anything. Like I hired a, I hired a, a business coach and, you know, I did the business coaching thing and I did all of that. So yeah, like, was I becoming more and more business savvy as I went along? Yeah. But I'm not convinced that that's what it is that actually made my business grow and made me be who I feel like I am today. I think it was, it was just the fact that I started to be unapologetically myself and learn that whether I show up like this today with zero makeup on, or I show up, you know, being looking like a million bucks, doesn't really matter because that's just my outsides. What matters is the way I treat people. What matters is what my heart feels when I connect with others. What matters is how I feel about myself every day when I wake up. And 
and how I continue to, you know, treat the world and what I do with that. Um, and it's such an interesting and such a different way to think because um, I started to then attract different people into my life. So, um, you know, I started to attract people that like would treat me better. Like I would be in relationships with men that were, that, you know, I, that was different that I never thought I would have or whatever. Um, and, you know, fast forwarding to Courtney, which is the amazing man that's in my life right now, who I believe is my person. Um, I'm like, I feel like a queen. I feel like I'm royalty. I really do. And, and I don't mean that in like a presumptu presumptuous way by any means. I just mean that it's, um, I was able to co-create having this person in my life because of the work that I've done and because of the attention that I paid to my soul. And, you know, even thinking of the last like few years of what relationships have been for me, even the last eight years, because I've, I've been single for eight years and what those relationships have been and every single one of them, as I continued to to work on me was a better relationship. Um, and now I'm like with this person that like, I just don't think that I can like this, this is, oh my gosh, this is like, this is my gift. Um, and again, this isn't the like, you know, I, um, I don't feel like I need a man to come and do these things for me. Now it's, I get to sit in my feminine energy every day as a business owner, as a woman in society that tells us we have to be alphas and we have to do, do, do instead of be, be, be. And I get to be instead of, you know, I get to be a human being instead of a human doing. And the difference that that's made in my life is unreal, just completely unreal. It's so interesting to hear that. Like, everything that you just went through and, and how you process that as somebody like on this side of you and being, uh, being a friend and seeing you like your confidence has always just, if someone was said, who's the most confident person that, you know, it would be you hands down because just the, seriously, like the way you show what? up, <laughs> I know, but every time I'm like around you, like you just have like positive energy and you make people feel good. Like anytime you're with them and you're like, I always watch you on social media and I'm like, you and I've had this conversation because I'm like, I want more confidence like you. Cause you just show up and you speak your mind and you, you just have this, like, I don't care. Like I'm a girl boss and I'm going to just do it. And I've always appreciated that about you. So as somebody on this side, and I know you probably have gone through all the things internally, like I would never have guessed. Oh my God. Thank you. Wow. Um, I mean, seriously, I mean, that's, I mean, wow. how I've always viewed you and, um, you know, you, and you, the way you, um, just show up for everybody, you know, and how, um, as a vendor, like you're a friend of mine, but also like how you've shown up in our industry of collaborating and, you know, honoring people and honoring your vendors and, you know, being that like person in the middle of like clients and vendors. And I don't know, you've always just done it. So, so seamless. Wow. 
Thank you. That's, that's an honor to hear that. Um, wow. I literally wrote down cause I always write notes, right? So I can go and I put, where do you get your confidence from? And I mean, it sounds like everything that you've gone through in life has just like built that up, you know, Absolutely. and, and somebody coming into this culture, um, you know, it's not, it's not easy, but you, I feel like you've just made your little space in it. Yeah. You know, I think one of the biggest takeaways for me was just stop worrying about what everybody else thinks and just be yourself because living an authentic life is what everyone says they're going to do, but it's so much harder than, than it really, than it is, but it's so much, it's not actually that hard. I take that back. It's not that it's hard. It's, it's that society tells us certain things. And once we stop listening to society, then we are just exactly who we're supposed to be. And it is pretty easy and seamless. So like, you know, I so appreciate and like, oh my gosh, feel like I'm tearing up, like by you saying that, um, that, that someone feels this way about me. And, and I have been told that by you. And I just, I, I love that. Um, and I get to every day because of those kinds of comments, get to continue to have the courage to be myself. So it's, it is my community and it does take a village. And that's why we're supposed to honor each other, especially as women. I mean, like I'm literally getting chills right now, but I just, women can be so awful to each other. Like in the world, we can be so horrific to one another. And we all have a story that might not be this story, but we all have such an amazing story of how we landed to where we are, whether we're, you know, women bosses, or we're working in corporate America, or we're, you know, at home with our children, or whatever it might be, we all have a story. And that story deserves to be honored. And when we just stop and listen to each other for just five seconds, instead of worrying about why, you know, her hat doesn't match her purse or whatever it is, we, we get to uplift each other every day. And we get to grow together. I mean, we get to grow together. And, you know, who doesn't want that with, with men and that masculine energy that I was talking about, that masculine energy is so full of competitiveness. And when we're sitting here competing with each other, we're not being the essence of who we are in our feminine energy and getting to be these, you know, the women that we want to be and getting to be this, like, you know, people do say this, the kind of similar things to me um, that you just said, and, and I honor it every time and cherish it and so appreciate it. And they say, I, like, I've had women say, I want to be more like that. And then, you know, you watch them in society and like, or you watch them, they turn around and they're just like gossiping about the next girl. And I'm like, I mean, it starts with the little things, right? Like, I don't need to sit here and gossip about anything because I was the kid that like, I don't know, like I was the kid that probably didn't know how to, I know I didn't know how to dress and I know I didn't know how to do my hair and I didn't know that hair products were made for, you know, my kind of curly hair and these big curls. I used to wear my hair straight every day. I used to literally flat iron my hair because I just wanted to be like everyone else who had straight hair and, you know, blonde hair and blue eyes and all these things. And, you know, for the longest time I wore green colored contact lenses because I just wanted to have colored eyes. And it was like, now I'm me and I'm brown and this is who I am and I have brown eyes and I have dark hair and it's big and it's curly and it, it just look, you know, and I'm curvy and there's nothing wrong with any of that. Like it's just, and I get to just show up every day being 
the size that I am and the, and the, you know, the, the hair that I am and the height that I am and whoever, and, and whatever is happening in my soul that day, I get to show up in the world that way and get to project that out. So the times when I do those live videos and people are like, Oh my gosh, I can't do a live video. Like I'll go to a venue and be like, I'd love to do a live video. And like, have you like, you know, I want to like do a shout out for your venue. Like maybe you could tell me a little bit about, you know, your venue and all that. And people are like, Oh no, absolutely not. And it's just, I'm like, it's, we do this to ourselves and we make it so much harder for ourselves because society tells us that we're supposed to be nervous and we're not supposed to, you know, feel comfortable in front of a camera or whatever. But oftentimes when I'm doing these videos, I really just do whatever feels in my, whatever feels good or not in my heart. Like during the pandemic, when everything was going on, I did a lot of videos where I was like, Hey guys, I'm having a really rough day today. Like this is really hard and I'm feeling really isolated. I, I, you know, lived through the pandemic, almost the entire pandemic by myself and months and months would go by. And I, unless I'm going to the grocery store, I didn't see anybody. Um, and I'm a super social butterfly. Like it doesn't work for me to not see people. And so, you know, social media was a great outlet for me to just be like, okay, Hey guys, like who else is feeling this in our industry? And this was in 2020 that I did this last video and we were at an, at an event for our industry event last week and I, you were there actually, I remember seeing you. Um, and a lovely woman came up to me who is also a wedding planner. I'd never met her before who said, Oh my gosh, I've been wanting to meet you for years. And I saw that video of yours in 2020 and it inspired me to keep going. And it was like, Oh my God, you remembered a video I did two years ago and it inspired you like, Oh my God, the fact that I was able to do that I mean, thank God. Like, I don't, I don't even like, I'm just so grateful that I was given this gift of, of like being able to shine in the way that I'm allowed to shine. Keep shining sister. Keep shining. Bless that upon everybody. (laughs) Such a good message. And I think, um, I think that we all need to hear that. And I, sometimes I wish that we had more clarity when we were like younger growing up because you are, you're like trying to figure out who you are and you're so worried about what everyone says about you. And, you know, I see my stepdaughter going through high school and, you know, all their challenges that they have. And I'm just so sad because it sucks that it takes you 40 years. Cause that's, I'm in the same boat as you to like have that confidence to not care and to show up with no makeup on and to show up who you are and what you look like and, and be okay with it. And yeah, I I totally agree with like the non, the non chatter and the non gossiping. I mean, it's like, there's, you never know what, what someone is, what's going on in their life or what has happened to them during the day or that week that they're going through that puts them in that mood. And so I think we need to just show up positively. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I have one question for you. Um, I, we, didn't talk about it a ton, but I know that there was something that happened in your country. Was it a year or two ago? No, a year, less than a year ago. Right. When I'm trying to remember the bombing, the Gaza bombings. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? And like how, I don't know. I think because there's all this bad stuff going on now with like Russia and Ukraine. And, you know, I feel like we're in us, we're just like this little, like privileged little country that we live in over here. And, um, 
And do you want to talk about just because I know that's such a real thing right now for most people and mm-hmm. kind of what you've experienced and like what your family's experienced with that and any advice you have for someone who might be going through that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, it's people who are going through anything like that. <clears throat> it's it's just awful. Like it, there aren't really ways to even explain it and explain the pain and explain the the torture and the suffering that people go through in, in these countries, you know, I mean, my family's still struggling with, you know, like I said, this whole thing with the Israeli Palestinian conflict started in 1947. So, and it's been ongoing. So it flares up. And one of the flares, this last flare was, um, was the Gaza bombing, um, bombings. And it was, it, it was so awful and so horrific. And, um, so not surprising. I, I hate to say it that way. I feel like sometimes when I speak about this stuff, I'm a little bit desensitized. Um, but it's um, us being sensitive to what is happening here. I would say the best thing we can do is to educate ourselves. We live in a country where education is not really a very important thing. We don't look at it that way. Um, we don't look at education as being, you know, such a, a big thing and people don't go online and look up what's happening in other countries. They're just like, oh, Ukraine is being bombed or, you know, Gaza is being bombed. Oh, like that sucks. Go on with my life. You know, I'm going to go to Whole Foods and get my stuff and, you know, all the things. Um, and I can't even begin to describe the effect that it has on people, everything from literally people losing their home, losing their family members, losing um, everything, everything, everything that they had, a child losing every toy that they've ever had. Um, You know, I talk about how hard it was for me to move here at nine years old to come to America. And, um, and I say it that I say it like that, because that is how it was looked at. You're going to America, you know, it's this dream. And we don't know that when we come here, the racism we're going to find and the things we're going to see. And in a lot of ways, we are such a privileged world and such an ignorant world all at the same time in this country. And, um, and the best thing we can do is be sensitive to each other and educate ourselves look at places like don't, you know, I'm not talking about like, look at Fox news or anything like that. I'm saying like, read books and, you know, look up what's really happening from both sides of both places that are, that are in war. So I'm not saying, I mean, obviously I'm very pro-Palestinian because that's, I'm Palestinian, but also I'm not sitting here telling you to be pro-Palestinian. I'm sitting here saying, go look at both sides and make a decision for yourself. Um, The fact that my whole family still, so huge part of my family still lives in Palestine and there's checkpoints everywhere and you can't get from one spot to another without getting to a checkpoint. Sometimes my family can't see each other and they live 20 minutes away from each other. When we, when I lived in Palestine, our home was maybe about a 10 minute walk from my grandma's house. We would walk there every single day. We saw my cousins and grandma and everybody every single day. Now there's a wall that is in between us. So when my parents' house used to be to my grandma's house is no longer a 10 minute walk. Sometimes it takes two to three hours to get there because of the checkpoints. And because sometimes the Israeli soldiers decide they're not gonna open up the checkpoint. So that means 
families don't get to go, you know, kids don't get to go to school that day. Um, parents don't get to make money because they can't get to work that day. They, people can't drive their cars from point A to point Z unless you have a specific, you know, driver's license that says you're allowed to, to go here and go there. And if you are and you're a Palestinian, you still have to be back by a certain time. So you can't like work a night shift at a hospital or whatever, because you have to be home at a certain time. Otherwise there's a warrant out for your arrest. Um, and, you know, it's, so my grandma passed away August of last year and she's my heart and soul. This woman, like she's helped raise me. She's my everything. And, um, while she was in her battle of, you know, going back and forth to the hospital a bunch and all of that, there was a time when she almost didn't make it to the hospital because the ambulance that was giving her a ride to the hospital, one of the, the ambulance guys, one of the, um, the responders was paramedics. Um, one of the paramedics didn't have his, the correct license or something like that. And they were like, well, you can't go in. And they're like, this woman's literally dying. And, and this happens every day and they wouldn't let him, let them go in. And this poor guy, poor medic had to get out of the, the car and wait for someone to hopefully come back and pick him up while they took my grandma to the hospital. And, you know, pregnant women have died at checkpoints because simply Israeli soldiers didn't feel like let her in, letting her in. She gave them too much attitude or whatever, you know? Um, and th that's, you know, that's the kind of, place that, that it is there. And so, you know, bombing a place like Gaza, to be totally honest, I've actually never even been to Gaza. Um, as a kid, it just wasn't, you know, it was like an hour and a half away from where we lived. And we, you know, I didn't know anyone. There was no reason for my parents to take us there. So they, they didn't. Um, so I've never even stepped foot in Gaza, but I, but it's such a small country. The whole country is smaller than the whole state of California. So when you talk about two different people that are trying to fight over the land, that's a, that's a lot of fighting in a tiny little country that is the, smaller than California. So, you know, there are, you know, I remember being a kid and again, this is kind of what goes back to why I'm probably so desensitized to so much of this, but, um, and I hate to be that way, but it's just, it's just part of my reality. But I remember being a kid and, you know, the Israeli soldiers were coming into our neighborhood and you could see it kind of from up over the hill. And, um, and, you know, as little kids, you just knew if there was Israeli soldiers coming in and the bullets are flying through and as they're starting to fly through, because that's what they did, you would go inside and you would wait until they left and you come back outside and play. And it was really, I mean, it sounds insane, but that's how it was. And I remember they were throwing tear gas bombs into, you know, into our neighborhood. And um, <clears throat> I remember running into the house. We're going into my friend's house. I was like, oh, you know, it's your gas bombs. Better go inside. Like, that's how, like, casual. I mean, you know, we're making an effort to go into the house, but that's just, I don't know, people die every day. Like, it wasn't, I hate to, I hate to, again, say it, feel so casual about saying it, but that's just how it was. That was the reality of the whole thing. And we would, and I remember coming um, to the door. So it was like, three or four friends of our, like a group of us together. The last, I was the last person to go into the door and the friend kind of closed the door right behind her and kind of shut it in on me before I went in. And I was like, Oh, well, whatever. I'll just stand here. I mean, what are, what are the chances that I'm like, going to get hit by anything. And so I just remember being lucky enough to literally lift my head up and look up above me. And it was a four-story building. And I saw something coming down from the four-story building 
and it was a tear gas bomb that was being thrown over the building. And all I did was reach my hand behind my back, open up the door, go and step one step inside the door, close the door. Tear gas bomb falls, all of that. We come back inside and we come back outside to play because now the soldiers are gone. It's like two hours later or something. They arrested whoever they needed to or beat up whatever they, whoever they were there to beat up or kill whoever, like whatever it was that happened. Um, they didn't kill anybody because that would have been, a, that we wouldn't have come out and outside and play. That would have been like, you know, going into mourning with whoever family that would have been. So whatever it was that they needed to do. So they did that, they left and we come back outside to play and there was a tear gas bomb sitting right there. And I just remember thinking, had I not walked back, that tear gas bomb would have probably hit me right on the head. And a tear gas bomb, you smelling it, isn't going to kill you. It's gonna hurt like a, a lot. It's gonna burn your eyes like hell, but it's not gonna kill you. But if it falls on your head from a four-story building, it will kill you. Um, and I just remember that. And that was just like one of many memories that happened. And it like, and that comparing it to what happened in Gaza is nothing. I mean, I don't know if, if people out there saw photos, but just Google Gaza bombing. Um, and, and you'll see pictures of, of, you know, neighborhoods, complete, the complete city with buildings that are completely collapsed or halfway collapsed. And, kids playing with the rubble and you know not having anything to eat and have lost everyone they know and now they're just a little three-year-old running around with no family and there's no you know cps and there's no none of that kind of thing that exists there so who knows what happened to these children and you know it's it's not very easy for people like the un or anything like that to come in they don't allow for a lot of that stuff so it's um just educate ourselves and, and don't be so easy to say because, um, because the United States, like so much of our tax dollars goes to the Israeli government and, um, and making their forces a lot stronger. I mean, like literally I sit here and pay taxes knowing that they're, my tax dollars are going in such a huge portion to, um, to make the Israeli government be bigger and better. Um, it's, it's such a shame and just educate yourself on what that looks like for people because that's um palace the palestinian people in specifically are people that um like their their cause is like such like a lost cause like people don't pay attention to it um we don't even exist on the map anymore i mean if you you know like if you look at palestine if anyone goes and tries to find palestine um, what you really should be looking for is Israel on the map because you won't find Palestine because they've taken it away. So that in itself is like such a loss of identity. You know, I'm Palestinian. I will always be Palestinian, but that doesn't exist on the American map. Um, if you are looking for it, it's in between, you know, it's, you know, we're borders with Egypt and Jordan and it's this tiny, tiny little dot on the map that you'll see. And it, it says Israel. Um, and I was born in Jerusalem. And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a beautiful place. It's something, it's a place that has so much culture and life and love. Um, and I highly recommend that people go visit it. Um, if you're Palestinian and you're going to go visit it, it's very difficult for you because if you have an Arabic name, um, they make your life extremely difficult. I travel on an American passport, but I have an Arab name and, um, it would be very different than you and me, Heather, traveling together. It'd be completely two different entrances. 
it'll probably take you about 20 minutes to go through customs. It'll probably take me about six to eight hours. Wow. Um, yeah. So thank you for shedding light on that. And I think what I take away from it is that we need to stop taking things for granted. You know, I think like we have bad days or something bad happens to us, which could be not that bad in comparison to what other people are going through in the world. And I think that we just need to have a little more gratitude for what we have and um, appreciation for how easy we have it sometimes. Um, And so that's what I got from that too. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to share or say um, to the listeners out there? No, I feel like we covered my whole life. (laughs) You're up to speed. I'll keep you posted on what else happens. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I know, like, like you said, we all have our own journeys. We have our own, you know, ways we got here and who we are today. And I, I'm always, I love listening to people's stories because I always learn so much and, and just feel so blessed and thankful for the people that I get to meet and my dog's barking. Um, (laughs) and uh, you have a place where you can have a dog, you know, (laughs) Exactly. Um, and just, you know, knowing that we all have our own journeys and um, appreciating that and appreciating each other. So I appreciate you for being here today. Thank you. And I appreciate being here and loved every second of this. And thank you for, for asking me to share my story. Yes. If you ever want to come back on for any other reason, you just let me know. <laughs> okay. That whole, oh, this is off topic, obviously, but um, we're off this part. But the only other thing I think that might be interesting, and I, you probably have had a lot of people speak about this because it's happening so much, but that whole like um, the, the childhood abuse and that kind of thing, which all like kind of connects together. But um, nobody has come on to talk about that. Really? I don't know if that's something that your listeners would even be interested in, but it's to be just honest, like I want to run the gamut of whatever, you know, like I've had all kinds of crazy different things. Um, I do have a girl coming on. She's been through like human trafficking. Um, mm, so she'll talk uh, a lot about that. Yeah. So I have it. And I think it's good because again, like we all might be going through it. Like the, um, you were talking about gambling, the girl who, um, will be on the week before you, her husband was, she does, she doesn't call it an addiction. She calls it a problem, a gambling problem. Um, but she talks about that and I'm like, holy shit. Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. And then now you say this again and I'm like, oh, so I think there's so many different things that people go through that a lot of us don't think they are. And I, it's so nice to know that someone it's not nice to know. It's good to know that like somebody else is kind of going through it and that there's resources out there and people we can lean on for those. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I talked, like I said, the word Al-Anon and all of that. I think that'll, you know, if anyone is, hears it and is like, oh, oh, there is, there are programs out there for people like need support in that. Yeah. So thank you. I appreciate you. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please share this episode on social media and tag me. And if you know someone who needs to hear this message, please share. I can't wait to continue to inspire you all.